I will be speaking in the mornings, and we'll be going through some character sketches on Hebrews in, uh, through Hebrews chapter 11 in the morning. Uh, but tonight I'd like to uh, share God's work of grace in my life. And I'm really thankful when I heard that the teenagers, uh, young adults, uh, are in here tonight because I think my story of salvation, at least I've prayed, would have an impact on you, most importantly, uh, here tonight. Uh, but I'd like to have my wife uh, stand up, uh, my wife of 40 years, July 2nd. We've been married 40 years. Deb right there. So... Anybody that uh, knows her and I knows she's the one that's kept it all together. Uh, we have five kids that are married, all married. Uh, each one of them is serving the Lord. We're, we're so thankful. And then like every grandparent has to do, we have a picture. We have 16, uh, 16 grandkids, uh, 11 on down. And uh, we picked uh, two of those 16 to come. And Somebody said, well, how, how did you know which ones to pick? Well, I, I don't know what the criteria was, but here's what we got. We got the one that never stops talking and the one that doesn't talk so much. So we, somewhere in there, there's, there's, a, there's a balance. Um, I've been pastor at Lakeside Fellowship in Polk City for 18 years, had the privilege of being the church planner. We started the church out of our house, and, uh, and God's really blessed. It's clearly been uh, work of, of uh, God's gracious mercy uh, in our lives. We'll look back. I had no idea, my wife and I, what we were doing when we moved to Polk City. Uh, we were reminiscing uh, just the other day, the very first vacation Bible school that we had 18 years ago in Polk City, uh, we had in the backyard of our house. And our house had a little driveway in the front and then a longer driveway that went to the back of our house. And we didn't, we didn't know any difference, so we set a table up uh, at the end of our driveway. Uh, we handed out flyers, and cars would literally drive up. Parents wouldn't even get out of the car. They would register their kids on the clipboard and send their kids to our backyard. Seems kind of crazy today uh, to do that. Uh, but God is uh, really blessed. I, I'd like to show you one uh, picture, a recent uh, blessing, if you have that second picture. So that's our church building, uh, and this is at the last day of our VBS here at the end of June, and we had 281 kids at our VBS on the last day, and what was most, and then uh, because we live in a smaller community, uh, we're community-minded, the, the Polk City Fire Department always loves to come out. We ask them if they'll just bring the fire truck out, and somewhere in the middle there I am. I'm getting uh, wet and, and uh, with all of the kids, and then on the back side of that is Sailorville Lake. And I just love that picture, because when I, when I see the water and just the mist and all that, to me that's just a reminder of God's grace and mercy uh, in, in our life. Well, if you have a Bible or a device, I'd like to read a couple of verses and then from these verses share the story of what God has done in my life and some changes that God has made in my life. And as, as I get to the end, I'd like to list four changes, ask you to think about writing them down and seeing if they are a reality in your own life. Uh, how many here appreciated uh, uh, Missionary Nate uh, this, uh, speaking this morning? Do you appreciate that? Like, that was, uh, that was a major blessing. I had not met him, uh, and I was just so, so excited. 
And uh, I actually got a text from Pastor Josh Daggett from Living Water. He's a good friend of mine and actually helped start, uh, plant our church. And uh, he shared the story as well. And so he was, he was all fired up. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.21, which will be the last verse I read, is the verse that God used to, to pin me down for salvation. But I'd like to start reading in verse 14. And uh, these are my life verses, my salvation verses, my ministry verses. Uh, this is just a fantastic uh, portion of Scripture. It says, For the love of Christ controls us, verse 14, I'm reading from the ESV, because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who, for their sake, died and was raised. Verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is, is a new creation. Uh, old things uh, will pass away and behold, everything will become new. All this is from God, who through Christ, verse 18, reconciled us to himself. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Think, this is a beautiful description of the gospel right here. Yeah, not counting their trespasses and trusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, those who have trusted in Christ, we're ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And then verse 21, I remember right where I was uh, some 41 years ago uh, when this verse was quoted to me. For our sake he made him to be sin, Christ, who knew no sin, Christ, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I'd just like to share my story of grace because we're going to be with you this week. And so you can get a little touch and um, flavor of who Deb and I are and um, very thankful 41 years later for what Christ has done in my life. As I look back at my life, I would say I was highly religious and totally lost. Uh, I grew up in a little town of Breda, Iowa, or Carroll. Does anybody know where that's at? Nobody knows where Breda? Okay, there I see some, yeah. Um, town of 500, a uh, Catholic church that would seat 500, a steeple in the town that went up about 100 feet. You could see it from five miles away. Uh, went to Catholic grade school, went to Catholic high school, and then I had a scholarship to go to Creighton University, a Jesuit school. A couple of things were important to me as a young person and were important to our town. Baseball, we were a baseball town, and uh, I was a catcher. Um, uh, when, I grad, when I got out of eighth grade, going into ninth grade, our, our school was so small, uh, we didn't even have football. So we had fall baseball back in the day. And uh, so I, I made the team, the varsity team for fall baseball, eighth grade. We started before we got into ninth grade, and then it finished in late September. We were at the state championship game. I was on the team, I wasn't a starter, I was the backup catcher, and I was all excited, felt really good about myself, even though I really wasn't playing, really, really didn't participate in the team going that far, but for me, you know, I was, I was there, I was doing it, I, was, I had arrived, 
And uh, right before the game started, the head umpire started coming over and he started counting people in the dugout. And the head coach came running over to me and said, Dave, uh, you're number 16. Uh, there's only 15 allowed on the team. So if the umpire comes over here and asks, you are the bat boy. I was like, oh, so, so much for glorying and making the team. He uh, kind of uh, put, put, a, put a pin in my uh, bubble there. So baseball and drinking. It's hard for me to believe, but back in my little community, uh, we played sports. Uh, you went to church and you drank. I remember my grandfather teaching me how to pour a beer into a glass with just a, uh, like a one-inch head of foam on it. So he had tipped the glass, and he taught me how to drink as a 10-year-old. When I was 14 years old, um, the way that you proved that you were a man or manhood in our town is you drank a 12-pack of beer on your own. And when I was 14 years old, hard for me to believe, I drank my first 12-pack of beer by myself. Now, I was literally sick for three or four days, but that's how I grew up. And so going to church all the time, never missed a, never missed a Sunday. I grew up in a church. Pat Nemers has the, the famous line at the back of his Catholic church that he grew up in, because basically towards the two-thirds of the way through the service, you'd come down, you'd take communion, you'd go back down the side row, and, and then get back in your aisle. Well, me and my friend, uh, Kenny Kennebec, we'd go down, we'd take communion, we'd walk out the back, and we would just keep going. There was no, there was no wait for the end of the service. Pat Nimmer's church had a little sign in the back, and the little sign said, remember, Judas left early too. It was like, well, this didn't scare me that much. My earliest memory of something being real about Jesus um, was this tradition that the Catholic Church has during Lent of what's called the Stations of the Cross. And literally, if you were still go back to, to my hometown, you know, this big church that about 20 people attend on any given uh, Sunday, on the side wall, on this side, there'd be seven pictures of uh, the, uh, the path of the Via Della Rosa and then seven pictures over here. And during Lent, on a specific day, once a week, the priest and an altar boy would, you go to each picture, read the scripture, go to each picture and read a scripture. And, uh, and I was the altar boy. And I was maybe 12 or 13 years old. I can remember being the only kid there. There were about eight or nine other really old people, probably about the age that I am right now. And... Uh, and uh, and I can remember in the middle of that, I was holding up this pole with this cross on, and then we'd go to the next one, and I'd stand before it, and the priest would read. I can remember, have a vivid memory of, this is, this is something more, this is, this is like a beautiful thing, and there's something I'm missing here, because I hated going to church. Church was a have to. Well, time went, got in high school, partying picked up. And it was through a deep valley experience that God saved me and rescued me from my sins. And uh, so I had gotten a scholarship to go to Creighton University. I was a party guy. If you, if you wanted uh, something to do on an evening, um, you, could, you could get a hold of Dave. Dave would always go out with you. And when I got to Creighton University on this scholarship, um, the partying just kind of, kind of just 
increased. Um, I had an academic scholarship, and it never occurred to me that I actually needed to go to class that first semester. Okay, hopefully that isn't any of your experience. Uh, but somewhere in the middle of the second semester, didn't have cell phones back then, my mom called me crying. I loved my mom. She worked, uh, she worked all the time. And during the summer, she'd take the night shift so she could be with us kids. We never had a lot of money. Had to, certainly couldn't afford to go to Creighton. And she got a, uh, she got a call uh, from the academic office saying that I, had, I did not have a grade point average that was going to be high enough to pull anything out uh, by the time the second semester ended, and I had lost a four-year scholarship in a couple of months. I can remember my mom crying. She was just broken. Um, wasn't two days later, my grandfather, who I loved, um, had, a, had a massive heart attack, and for whatever reason, they life-flighted him to Omaha, where Creighton University is. I was there. I was the first one over, and I saw them working on my grandfather. Now, he he survived that, but he, but he was never the same. That, that impacted me. And then in the sovereignty of God, I had one other thing happen in the next couple of days. It was a very personal thing in my life. I did not know what to do. I certainly didn't know how to handle that. I did know how to drink. And so I don't remember any of this, but I went on a drinking binge as a 19-year-old. And somewhere in three days of me not remembering... I had told my friends that I didn't want to live anymore. Now, I don't remember saying it. I certainly don't think that I meant it. But my friends were convinced. They got a hold of my parents. And remember, this is uh, 40 years ago. Uh, my parents had me committed to a mental hospital. I, I woke up in the morning. I was in this crazy place tried to get out, and because I didn't voluntarily go in, I wasn't going to get out. And I was in there for weeks. I look back now, and I realize that God had completely wiped out, wrung out, squeezed out every ounce of pride I had in my life. There wasn't anything left in me. I did, when I got out, I didn't even go see my friends. I didn't know, is it the straight, what did they envision I was? I couldn't even figure it out. In the midst of all that, I had lost my license. My parents had moved to Ankeny, Iowa. I was living in their basement, and uh, I just was completely broken down. Uh, started working at Sears on Merle Hay Road. They just wiped the building out a year or two ago. And because uh, I didn't have a license, I was carpooling. Well, we heard a story of the sovereignty of God with uh, Braden getting uh, saved. Well, I have a sovereignty of God story. I, I needed a ride back and forth to work. There were some uh, young people that were working there. I asked them if I could, uh, could get a ride back and forth. I didn't have a license. Sure, you could. It was three faith students, Faith Baptist Bible College students. I remember riding back and forth. And they, they eventually were telling me about the difference between religion, which is what I had, and a relationship. I took a liking to one of the girls. She was really, really cute. And so at break time, ask her questions. She would answer my questions, ask her questions, she'd answer my questions. And then because I was so brave, I'd wait till I got home. I would call her up and ask her out on a date. She said, Dave, I like you as a friend. 
And here's what she said. And this is where the young people, I'm so thankful you're in here. Because this is the thing that God used in my life. She said, Dave, my relationship with Christ is so important to me that I would love to stay friends with you. I don't think you're aiming the same direction right now. So let's just be friends. I said, okay. And so we worked and she answered questions and the friends answered questions and, and um, on and on it went. I was being drawn in and I was thinking, so I call her up again. Hey, would you, uh, could, could we go out? I'll, uh, I'll go to your church. And she said, okay. And it was actually Ankeny Baptist Church. My very first non-Catholic church was down in the basin. Yeah, let's give a hand back there. Come on. Yeah, they're awake. I remember the, I thought it was red carpet down in the basement. Anyways, I was in an adult class in the middle. That I'd never seen anybody open up a Bible before. And, and I was amazed. Uh, called her up again. Hey, I'd like to, come on, let's just, let's just go out. And, and so I said, well, yeah, I'll go to church. I'll pick you up. And let's, well, she goes, no, I'll, I think I'll just meet you there. It's like, okay, this girl's playing hard to get. For the Lord. She was from Upper State, New York. So she went away for the summer, told me she was going away, and she introduced or got a hold of Terry Townsend, who was a youth guy at Sailorville at the time, and he called me up. He said, Dave, I've never met you, but this girl by the name of Deb gave me your name and said that you like to golf and do outdoor things, and you're interested in what the Bible has to say about a number of things. I said, yeah. He said, I'll buy you a round of golf. You'll do a Bible study. I said, okay, yeah, Absolutely. I, was, I had so many questions. I had been broken of every ounce of pride I ever had. The religion that I grew up in offered me nothing. There was no hope uh, whatsoever. And so that summer in uh, 1982, Terry Townsend led me in a Bible study. And I remember uh, him sharing the gospel. I remember him sharing 2 Corinthians 5.21. For anyone who's in... Uh, uh, 517, as anyone who's in Christ is a new creation, uh, 521 has made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And as he explained it for the very first time, I'm like, that is truth. And then I had a struggle. I had one of those three in the morning struggles. My grandma Annie, who had passed away a couple years earlier, was was the most beautiful person I had ever known. She was so kind to me. And in my mind, is it possible that my grandma Annie was highly religious, went to church, but what if she never trusted Christ? I could not get my mind wrapped around the fact that she wouldn't, she, she, there was a possibility she wasn't in heaven. So for a month, I battled with God. This cannot, is this right, is this not right? And one day I was driving across Sailorville Dam, and as clear as a bell, uh, God said, Dave, you stop that car you're driving and you get on your knees, you tell me you're a sinner, and you invite Christ and his finished work on the cross to come into your life. And I was driving across, it was June of 1982, pulled over, cars were driving by the other way, I knelt down in front. I was kind of thinking, man, they probably think I'm throwing up here in front of the car or something. And I remember saying, God, I don't even know how to pray. I don't know how to pray. I know our fathers. I know Hail Marys. And I know that's not going to get it right now. And so, Lord, if you would just 
take my sin away and come into my life and save me from my sins. I'm yours forever. And um, as you can see, the halo up here, it worked. No, there's no halo up there. I got in my car and I was different. Church became a want to rather than a have to. The Bible started making sense on my own. I called this girl in New York and I said, I finally get what you were trying to tell me about and, and I got on my knees and I trusted Christ as Savior and, and I'm so excited and man, I would really love to date you. And she was, she was like, just like not excited at all. I mean, we didn't have FaceTime back then, but I mean, it wouldn't have been a smiley face for sure. Yeah, she, she's, she's a wise girl because she thought Dave was saying what, uh, what she wanted me to say so that I would date her. She called Terry Townsend. A couple days later, I called her back. And today she's my wife, Deb, right there. Let's give her a hand. So, so for the young people, here, here's, here's what I want to say. And I, I really want to talk about how God melted my heart. And then he molded my life. And really, many of you have been here, church forever, uh, camp forever. Maybe, maybe the gospel's old, old thing to you. But, but can you remember when Christ melted your heart? And is he actually molding, molding your life? Deb, uh, my, my very first date, uh, she was going to start school in the middle of August. Well, it was June I, I was, I was, you know, I, I lost it for a couple months. We have letters we wrote back and forth. Nobody ever gets to read those. I don't even know if I could read those. Uh, you know, our kids certainly aren't going to read those. But she was going to come back and I was like, I don't want to wait that long. And so what would you think if I just flew out, you know, and kind of visited you and the family? And she goes, you mean like come out here like we've never dated before? I'm like, yeah, I'll just, I'll, just, I'll just fly out to New York. Well, let me talk to my parents. And the parents are like, He's, he wants to come out here like you guys have never held hands or anything like that before. No, we've never actually touched before, you know. It's like, okay, so our fir very first date, I flew out to New York, flew into LaGuardia Airport. We went to Statue of Liberty. Deb's dad stayed back and watched the car. All of my luggage got stolen, and the thief, the thief, whoever did it, had a sense of humor because he pulled out one pair of my underwear out of the luggage and let it sit where all my luggage was. So that's... <laughs> No, that's not all I had to wear for the rest of the week. They, their, their deacon, their deacon fund helped me out. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Deb was uh, going to be a senior in her senior year at Faith. So our, we got married uh, not long after that, lived in married student housing. One other thing, and then I need to get to the heart of what I want to say to you. So I came from a drinking family. We're living in married student housing. I haven't told Dr. Tillotson this yet. He wasn't actually the president there. My dad called me one Sunday afternoon. He said, hey, I'd like to come over and watch a little football. And uh, yeah, come on over. So I see my dad pull up and, uh, and I see him walking up. He's got a 12 pack of Budweiser walking into <laughs> married student housing. Come on in, dad, get in here quick. Let's shut the door. You know, like, wow. He had no idea. So through a valley experience, God saved me. And then through a valley experience, God radically changed and called me. So we got married, had started having children right away. Our oldest son, Jake, uh, was 
four years old when he was diagnosed with cancer, leukemia. And when he was five, he had a bone marrow transplant. He's, he's alive today and by the, it's completely a miracle of God. Went to University of Minnesota for a bone marrow transplant. And we lived in the Ronald McDonald house for a number of, number of weeks. Every night, maybe 40 rooms in this Ronald McDonald house, there were parents weeping, crying all night long in the hallway. Of course, Deb and I were broken. We were dealing with our own own problem. Our doctors had given Jake a 10% chance of getting through transplant. There wasn't a week went by when we didn't get to know a transplant cup family that had a child over there. We got to know the child and there wasn't a week go by where someone didn't lose a kid and we had to say goodbye to him. It was gut-wrenching. People were broken with no hope. And Deb and I uh, got down on our knees, and I told God that when this is all over with, whether, whether my son lives or whether my son dies, when this is all over, if you want me to be in ministry to speak to people and give hope, like I'm all in. And a number of, number of, uh, number of years later, God clearly called me to ministry and I'm so thankful for what God has done in my life. Young people, can I, I, I just want to say this. This is, um, if it wasn't for Deb's conviction, as a, she was a thousand miles away from her parents, she actually had believing adults tell her to, to date me so that she would have an opportunity to share Christ with me. And I know that's how some of it went for some of you. And I'm not, there's no judgment here because God works. God's gracious and God's merciful. But this sinning guy, this party guy, had never seen a girl who had convictions that she was making decisions on her life. It certainly wasn't the case for my life. And God used her to say, Dave, God, what does she have that I don't have? And I'm here to tell you, I don't know if you're a young adult, high schooler or whatever, um, if you're a young lady here, you live for the Lord. You live for the Lord. Because if there is a godly guy out there, that godly guy is going to be looking for a godly girl. Be the godly girl that the godly guy is going to be looking for. Amen? That's the way it should be. And guys, you should, you should take the lead in this. I, I know God is the God of salvation. But he uses means, and in this case, he used this girl by the name of Deb, who repeatedly told me no, but told me why. And I'm forever, I'm forever grateful. So I'm so thankful for what God has done in my life by his grace over and over. I, I just want to, in the eight or nine minutes I have, I want to give you four changes that have taken place in my life, not perfectly, not steadily. It's, uh, my, my life's more like a heartbeat kind of thing. It's got a little bit up and down to it. Uh, from 2 Corinthians 5, I would really love it if you would write them down, not because they're great wisdom from me, but they are like the fruit of the Spirit. They are a litmus test to find out where are you at in your relationship with Christ. So let me just give you these four from 2 Corinthians 5. 
so the first change that I found that took place in my life was that I had a new passion for Christ. I had a, a passion for Christ. And I, let me just read what Paul says, because I, I, I look at my life, I was like, Paul was, obviously God used him to do great things, but, but he captured this. He says in verse 13 of 2 Corinthians 5, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. The love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died. The love of Christ not only does something for you, and by the way, it was already mentioned this morning in Sunday school and, and, and earlier, it's not talking about our love for Christ, it's talking about Christ's love for us as displayed on the cross. The love of Christ compels us. So, so the love of Christ, when I look back, not only did something for me, it did something to me. Not just for me, and certainly as I dwelt on that, it melted my heart, but it did something to me. And Paul said the same thing. He said he was, uh, some versions will say controlled, uh, some will say uh, that, that the love of Christ compelled them. The ESV says controlled. Well, how can it control or compel move forward? Well, here's the idea of the word. The word means that you have this wide wandering river, you know, maybe like uh, Sailorville Lake. And when you, when you narrow the river in and you, you, you make it narrow, the river will flow faster and with more force and more direction. So Paul says, when I think about how much Christ loved me, it kind of hemmed him in on both sides and it, and it actually shot him forward to, to serve uh, the Lord. So I live my life now uh, understanding what Christ did for me. You know, um, and again, I love Catholics. By the way, my whole family is Catholic. Not one member of my family has come to know Christ. Not one. I mean, I'm talking 41 years. Now, my mom is 85. She won't let me know this, but she watches our live stream and the person running our live stream will tell me right before I go up to preach, hey, your mom is listening today. She doesn't know we know she's listening. <laughs> so there's hope. When I think about what Christ did for me, I'm trying to live my life as a thank you back to God. That's, that's, what, that's the gospel. I'm not trying to earn his favor. I don't deserve his favor. I'm just trying to live my life like, thank you, Lord. Like, what do you want? What can I do? I mean, really, what, what could he ask you to do or give up or, or, or what could he that would be more than what he's done for you? There isn't any. So I have this new passion for Christ. Do you know the Catholic Church, and I love Catholic people, I've said that, they taught me about the virgin birth. They taught me about the sinlessness of Christ. They taught me about the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection. They, they've got it down. But you know what they don't have down? They don't have the finished work of Christ on the cross down. They got it all, but they think they have to add to it. So I'll have these conversations with my mom, and she'll say, well, Dave, you know, uh, you keep telling me that I need to be saved, I need to have my sins taken away. And I went to the Catholic priest, and he said, hey, uh, hey Kay, every time you take communion, you are being saved. And I said, well, Mom, you don't believe in the finished work of the cross. She goes, well, that's a harsh statement, Dave. I go, well, it's true, Mom. You believe in purgatory? You believe you've got to keep going back to church? You're not sure where you're going to go when you die? And so I have this new passion for Christ. 
Uh, number two, I have this new promise of change. And I want you to think about my life the way it was and the pit I had dug for myself. And in verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new crea creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It, it's not a maybe. It's a guarantee. And just like Nate was talking about the fruit of the Spirit, and you put those up there, he says, if you are in Christ, your life will change. So let me give you a newsflash. If your life hasn't changed, I, I'm not God. I'm just going to take the text. You're not in Christ. It's impossible to be in Christ and not be changed. Amen? Amen. That's what we believe. That's what the Scriptures say. And it's an inside job. For me, God changed my desires, which turned into changing my action. You go to any other kind of church, a works-based church, they try to clean you up and make you look good and do all these things, and they have these list of things to do. Not, there's this internal change. It's real change. It was the first time in my life that I actually had hope the decisions I've made would not be an anchor the rest of my life. Uh, number, number three, you get a new perspective about people. Verse 16 says, From now on, therefore, regard no one according to the flesh. For even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. When you're passionate about Christ, you see people different. You, you must. You see him in light of the cross. You have a love for them. On Thursday of this last week, I did a funeral service for a six-day-old baby. There wasn't one family member who knew Christ. They had been given my name, and they asked me if I would do a memorial service. When I got there, they had nothing planned other, you speak, pastor, if you would just speak, and then pray for the food, and then we're going to eat. They had no hope. I mean, they had no hope. And I looked at them and it's like, man, if this doesn't break you, you need to check and see if you're spiritually alive. And then lastly, I had a new purpose in life. Let me read verses 18 through 21. It says in verse 18, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. There's the word. We're ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making his appeal uh, through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. There's the word, reconciliation, reconciled. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might have the righteousness of God. You're called to be, if you know Christ, an ambassador for Christ. That doesn't mean, like Nate, that you're going to be called necessarily to Thailand, although maybe somebody will hear him speak and say, hey, I have a burden for there, and I'm sure Nate would say, we could use you over in Thailand. It's just right maybe where you're at. But notice in verse 18, our ministry is reconciliation, and our message is reconciliation. Now let me say this as kindly and as loving as I can say it. Reconciliation at its very foundation, at its normal meaning, means to make an enemy a friend or somebody that's far away close 
or something that's out of joint straight. That's what the word means in the common language. Our ministry is to tell people who are out of joint, who are far away, who are enemies of Christ, that they can be right with God. And for my own mind, I have to tell myself this. Dave, the banner that we're going to fly is not the banner of separation. It's the banner of reconciliation. Now, clearly, God says in Scripture, you be holy for I am holy. And my wife was separated from the things of the world, not the people of the world. You read 1 Corinthians 5, and Paul says, I'm not asking you, uh, yes, I'm asking you to be uh, separated from the sexual immoral, but not those that are of the world. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, because then you have to go out of the world. He says, I'm telling you to be separated from somebody who calls himself a brother. And they're not living right. We're, we've got this ambassadorship to this lost world, to these people that aren't living for Christ. They don't even know what it means to live for Christ. They need to see the example. They need to see conviction. They need to see passion for Christ. They need to see a thankfulness for what God has done in their life. They need to see, I was a sinner, but by the grace of God, I've been saved. And but per chance, the God of salvation will, will point at them and say, you're going to be mine, and I'm going to use this person in that circumstance and these things, and I'm going to bring you to myself. Vance Havner says we have a story to tell the nations, but it's also a story to tell our neighbors. And I am forever, ever thankful that my wife, along with a bunch of other people, through the influence of Faith Baptist Bible College took a stand for Christ in a very loving, gracious, non-judgmental way, and I am forever grateful for that. Every step of my life journey, God has asked for a personal step of surrender. It was through difficulty that I came to know Christ. It was through difficulty that I surrendered to the ministry. Uh, my wife would probably be honest and say, Dave, that's because you're hard-headed. But God is so loving. Young people, I implore you, like on behalf of Christ, to live your lives in such a way that you, you prize what Christ has done for you, you see how precious you are, and you don't settle for anything less than what God would want for you. The finished work of the cross, Christ on the cross, has made all the difference. Has it for you? I, I trust it has. And I know Nate said this this morning, if there's one of you that doesn't know for sure that you know Christ, you come and see me or Nate or somebody, a family member or whoever brought you here, no, no playing church, no playing camp, uh, we want an absolute a surrender for Christ. If I could ask you just personally to think of my mom, her name's Kay, she's 85, she lives in Ankeny. I pray for her, we try to witness to her. My brothers, my sisters, family members, they need to know Christ. Let me pray. Father, thanks. Thanks for your goodness. Thanks for your mercy. Thanks for bringing people into my life who are radically sold out for you. 
Help us to be a group of people right in here, Lord, who are radically sold out to you. I'm eternally grateful for your love and mercy in my life. In Christ's precious name, amen. Thanks.